Hi, Southbrook. Uh, it's good to see you all today. Um, I, you should be warned, uh, I brought the big Bible, and that means we're in for something today, all right? Uh, we have been in this series looking at the shortest books in the Bible, uh, a bunch of collections, just of a bunch of little letters in, that were sent and received in the early church, and today we're looking at the book of Jude, and I just want to say right off the bat that it's a super weird book. And uh, we're in for some trouble here today together. So one of the things about text messages, have you ever got one that was too short? Like there was in critical information missing from the text message? Uh, that's a little bit like what Jude is like. Uh, somebody says, meet you there, and you don't know where there is? That's a little bit what the book of Jude is like. This letter, you go, you could have used a few more words, Jude, to tell us what's happening here. So uh, because I needed a few more words, I brought the big fat Bible. I just want to talk about this a little bit about my own relationship with the Bible. Growing up, it was like this, it was a storybook to me, right? I don't know if you had like a, a version of the Bible when you were a kid that just had a bunch of pictures in it and the first page had Adam and Eve and their strategically placed leaves, you know, and you just, you think of it as like a, a storybook. It helps you go to sleep at night. And then uh, for me, I grew up in the church and so I would sit out there with a Bible and it became like my drawing pad, was like the thing that I just doodled in and I sketched in the margin and it was just the thing that I kind of kept my attention while somebody boring was up there talking, right? Because I couldn't bring a, I didn't have a phone, I couldn't bring the landline in and play on the phone, right? So I had to use, had to use the Bible. And then I went to school and I studied the Bible. So this became like, this was actually one of my textbooks. This is a HarperCollins study Bible. It was my textbook. And it was the thing that I had to study and read and I had to take tests on it. And I had to remember it. I had to lock away things and remember where everything was and remember Greek words for stuff that I can't remember anymore. And it became a textbook uh, to me. And these days it's something simpler. I think of Scripture as company. Uh, I think of it as company for me. Um, I go back to it all the time. I go back to the Psalms. I go back to the stories of Jesus. Uh, I go to my home base, which is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that always encourages me and challenges me somehow all at the same time. And I think of it as traveling company. And I, I want to say, uh, just I hope it's clear, I, I love Scripture. I think it's super important. When we use Scripture as the basis of our series, our hope is always that if you don't have a, a practice of reading Scripture, that this will make you a little thirstier for it. Uh, and so I say all that to say, we're also going to talk about how it's super weird and hard to understand sometimes. Um, I just want to start off with a funny story about the Bible that doesn't have a lot to do with what we're talking about, but it's uh, funny enough and you're going to need it at parties. Uh, so I just want to share it with you. Uh, in the 1630s, and it also, it's kind of about how we, when we read the Bible, it's, it's heavy sometimes. This is literally super heavy, but I'm trying to get those like star pastor arms. So like that guy on that video earlier today who had those big arms. So uh, it's heavy sometimes, right? So in the 1630s, these guys wanted to make some money. They wanted to build up their Amazon audience. And so they printed a thousand versions of a Bible that they were super excited about. It's two guys. One of them is named Robert Barker, which if you break it down, Bob Barker. Um, I don't know if it's the same Bob Barker. It's the 1630s. He's old, but whatever. So Bob Barker, Martin Lucas, these two guys, they, they write, they get a translation of the Bible. They make a thousand copies of it. Again, 1630, so a thousand's a lot in their world. They put them out into the marketplace, and people go to the market and bring them home with the fruit and the bread for the week, and they open up the Bible, maybe at a family, family moment, and they open up to read it together. Maybe they start with the top ten, they go right to the Ten Commandments, and they open it up, and they start reading about, have no other gods before me, and all that, sounds good, don't murder, 
don't steal, don't kill, all that. Uh, but then they got to a verse that might have surprised them. And I think we have a picture of that. It said, thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> now, I don't know what's going on at Bob Barker's house. Uh, I don't know if it's like an autocorrect issue, but it left out uh, the not. And that's not even the end of it. In Deuteronomy 5, there's a passage that in a correct translation says something about God showing off God's glory and greatness. Uh, but where there was supposed to be an N and an E in greatness, uh, they took out the N and the E and just put an A. I can hear you. I can hear you doing the calculations. If you can't get it, I'll just save you. Just war- cover your ears, kids. But it said God showing God's glory and great ass. Now, I said that last service and some people left. So, sorry. I'm sorry. But it was in the Bible for a very short time. That was what the Bible said. Now, uh, people weren't too keen on this. You can, this is a fact. You can go look it up on the Wikipedia or the Google. Google Wicked Bible. Uh, That's what it came to be called was the Wicked Bible. Uh, And they burned all the copies of it. Once they uncovered these errors, they burned all the copies of it. There's 10 of them, they think, left in the world. And they're worth a ton of money. So if you find one of half price books, uh, you're going to be set for life if you can find a wicked wicked Bible translation. Now, it tells that story partly just to say, when we open up scripture, it's good for us to proceed with caution. All right? We're going to proceed with caution. This is what Jude says. Remember, I've already warned you. He's really weird. This is what he says. He said, Jesus starts off like a normal letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He's downplaying this a little bit because if he's brother to James, James is brother to Jesus. So Jude probably most likely is also a brother um, to Jesus. He says, to those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus Christ. That's a little different than some of the other letters we've looked at that that name a specific community. Jude just says, everybody who's listening, here's some stuff. Um, he just sends it out. He says, this sounds nice. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And you think, what a lovely letter this is going to be. Verse 4. Certain intruders have stolen in among you. People who long ago were designated for this condemnation has ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And I desire to remind you, though you are fully informed, that the Lord, who once for all saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Uh, Jude is not a great time at a party. Uh, we just got to say that, right? He, he's addressing this problem. There's intruders. And he wants to remind them that when these kind of things creep into the community of Jesus, um, when people go against what God wants, a lot of times something gets destroyed. And it could be you, right? And he goes on to tell a bunch of other just wild stories about the times when God has saved people but also destroyed them. He tells a little sort of story about God once had to even punish the angels and put them in darkness because they were disobedient. And of course, if you're going to talk about destruction, you have to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah because that's like the most famous story of destruction. So he wants to remind people, by the way, just remember, sometimes God destroys stuff. He says this is an old problem. He talks about it again in verse 8. He says, in the same way that all these things happened, these dreamers, 
we think a dreamer is usually a pretty good word. You don't mind being called one. He says it with a little, little something in his voice. You, these dreamers, they defile the flesh. They reject authority and they slander the glorious ones. And then he goes on to tell some weird stories. Honestly, we don't even know uh, what these stories are about. We have to do a lot of research. We need big books just to get to what he's talking about. Uh, he tells a story that's kind of a folktale that might have been in their community about when Moses died and the angel Michael and Satan battled over the body of Moses. Uh, he tells another story. He drops the name Enoch and he gives some long quotes from Enoch. Again, it's a lot like when you, you're talking to a friend and you watch a different TV show than them. Right? And you just don't have the same references. You don't know what they're talking about. For me, it's most of my life, even when I'm talking to you good people, it happens sometimes. Uh, but a lot of times, if I'm talking to college students, it, it happens all the time. Uh, not too long ago, I made a cowbell joke. Uh, somebody was talking about somebody having a fever. And I said, and the only cure is more cowbell. And they did not, they're a lot like you guys, some of you. They didn't know what was happening. So I had to ex explain to them, I said, there used to be these things called TV shows. And you would sit and you'd watch it on like a big screen. It was a TV show. And then I had to explain Saturday Night Live. And then I had to, you've seen the clips on the YouTube, right? And then I have to explain that it was about this, it was about a band that you've never heard of, right? And we go down this loop because we don't share the same references. And that's a little bit of what's happening right here in Jude. He's got all these references. He's streaming different shows, then we stream. And he drops just like little references. He doesn't give us the full story. He goes on. This is just good writing. And I just want us to celebrate it a little bit. He, 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 he digs that knife in a little bit further on what these intruders, these dreamers, on what they're like. He says, these are blemishes on your love feast. I don't know if you know what a love feast is, but I promise you don't want blemishes on them. Uh, Love feasts were like the, it was like their church word, right? As they, they'd have these big parties, these gatherings where they'd have meals. And he's saying there's a, there's a problem in the community. There are blemishes on your love feast. If you want to use that against somebody today, that's your, that's your call. He said there's blemishes on your love feast while they feast with you without fear because you're letting these intruders in and they're feeding themselves. And I, I love this line. They are waterless clouds, and I don't understand science enough, but I think that's pretty insulting uh, to call somebody a waterless cloud. Carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, uprooted. Uh, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved forever. Uh, Jude, I think, might be a frustrated poet. Uh, he just, he knows words. He can use words uh, pretty, has a pretty good, effective weapon. Uh, he goes on to eventually kind of get around to what they should do about this. And then he gets in um, to, to what he wants the community to respond. He says, you, beloved, you be different than the intruders. Be different from the waterless clouds. And he says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. So, you guys ever been to church and they tell you, just go home and read the Bible and you'll know exactly what to do about your life and you'll understand everything about who God is and what the world's like. And then you go home and you read Jude. And you're like, uh, I don't know. 
well, huh? I don't know what to do about this, right? So I felt that this week uh, when I opened it up and realized I had to say stuff about this thing. Um, so what I want us to do is to kind of just pretend like we're at a Bible study together, right? Have you ever gone to an awkward Bible study in somebody's living room? Well, that's what we're going to have here today. I've brought snacks. They're very simple, but they're transcendent. Um, they're just cra- crackers and juice. I've brought snacks. So welcome to our Bible study, right? I just want us to talk through what do you do when you open it up, and whether it's Jude or something else, you open it up and you want it to give you life. You want to have a connection to it. You want it to help you. you want, you're looking for wisdom, but you just can't. You're not streaming the same shows. You don't understand the references. So these are things that I do when I open it up. And maybe, maybe if you do them, you'll get it. Maybe, maybe it'll be useful to you. Uh, one of the first things that I do when I open up a, a, a book of the Bible and I'm trying to understand it is I just ask, what don't I know? Right? And I come to it with humility. And I say the question out loud. I just say, here's the stuff I don't, I don't know about this. Right? And right away we run into a thing we don't know. We don't know who it's written to. We don't know the context. Lots of other times we know the context. We can at least nail down the city uh, or the people's names. We don't know that here. We also don't know who the intruders are. We don't know exactly what they're getting wrong. We don't know exactly how they are denying Jesus. We just know Jude is super mad about it. And he's like a, he's like a broken record. He's just so mad. He can't, he can't stop talking about how mad he is at this. Right? So we don't know, but we don't know exactly. If we're just opening it up, we don't know right away. It doesn't tell us right away. We also just don't know all these stories. Right? We don't know the full context of some of these stories that he drops. Maybe even the ones that are in the Bible. If you don't know Sodom and Gomorrah story, if, if you don't know some of this stuff, you feel like, I don't, I don't, I'm not watching that same show, right? And so these are things that it's good for us to just say out loud, I don't know this. I have questions about this. And that needs to be okay for us to say out loud to each other. But then the second thing that I always do is I say, what do other people know? What do other people know? How can they be helpful to me? Uh, one of my favorite things that's a part of the Jewish faith, they have this word, it's the Aramaic word for friendship. It's just havruta. And it's this idea of friendship. That when you read the Bible, it should always be done in some kind of community. It should never be done just by yourself, right? Like you can have sort of time where you read it just by yourself, but when it comes to understanding it, you can't do it by yourself. You need help. You need resources, even if it's Wikipedia. Like I tried to use Wikipedia this week just to see where it took me. And of course, I think I ended up like learning about camels or something because that's what you do. Like on Wikipedia, you just follow the links and who knows what you learn on there. But it's still a resource, right? And I just have to say, what else, do I, what else does somebody else know? So for me, I go to like, I've gotten to learn in community. I've gotten to sit at the feet of really good teachers. And so I go back to what they've taught me about the ancient world, about the first and second century. I I pull out big books, right? And I get the big books and I listen to podcasts. And just the thing that I do is I try and kind of have a database in my mind for the questions that people ask. And I try and sometimes in my my friendships and in my work, I operate as a bit like Tinder. Uh, But instead of hooking people up, I connect them to Bible resources. So different from Tinder, but (laughs) sort of the same, right? It's a resource. I connect people. So I try and keep a database. Who else knows stuff, right? And what else is in, is there somewhere else in the Bible that talks about this? So to answer some of the questions that I didn't know the answer to, but other people have taught me the answers to, one of the big problems in the early church, one of the possibilities for these intruders was Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the big idea we talk about around here. It's pretty complex, but a very simple understanding of it, it was this philosophy that came from 
Plato and Aristotle and people like that, that flesh was over here and spirit was over here. And they were separate things that had nothing to do with each other. So there are people who are applying this to the church and saying you could just do whatever you want in your body because your real self is your spiritual self that God will save in the end. So make whatever decision you want about your body, it's fine, right? And they had this idea that flesh and spirit totally separate and have nothing to do with each other. And flesh isn't even real, spirit's real. So you can imagine that that affected the way they understood the story of Jesus. So you had Gnostic folks going around saying Jesus wasn't really in the flesh, he was more like a ghost, a phantom. And, and when he was up on that cross, he wasn't really suffering. He was just pretending like it hurt uh, just to make people feel sympathy for him. And they had this strange idea then, if that's what Jesus was, they, that's why he's saying they deny the flesh. They deny Jesus Christ, right? And then if you think that, that affects the way you think you follow Jesus. You think it, I just, it's just a thing that it, it, it lives in this other realm. It's totally separate from what I do with my body the rest of the week. So we can learn what the intruders were, and why Jude is so fired up about it, and why it's, it, it, it just turns people into waterless clouds to think that way. And all these other stories, right, these, these references that he makes, all these, this reference to this folktale about Moses' body, this thing about Enoch, uh, all these things, you can learn more about them, you can dig up the books. A lot of them are references to things that are not in Scripture, and it's always just worthwhile to me to talk a little bit about how we got the books that we got here in addition to us believing that God kind of guided that process, uh, the books that are here, they are here because people found them useful. They're here because people kept saying, that sounds good and right and true. They're here because people kept using ink on them. And even when they left out a knot every once in a while, they found it so good that they would, they would write it on parchment over and over again. They would tell it to their friends over and over again. And I find that just such a beautiful thing. I know some people think that when you hear stuff like this, that there were things outside of the Bible, you go, oh, well, then can we really trust that this has any authority? Can I trust this? And what I love about learning about that process is you start to realize when I open up Ecclesiastes, this is the thing I say all the time when I teach the Bible. If I open up Ecclesiastes and it says, doesn't life feel like you're chasing the wind? So many people have felt that way that they just kept saying it, and they just kept writing it down, and that's how it got to us. Because so many people have felt that to be true, right? That's why this is it's company to us. That's why it's important for us to think about this stuff sometimes. How did this get to us? And maybe we'll grow in our understanding of it. What do other people know? Uh, I might look at Paul, because Paul has to deal with this. He deals with it in Romans 6, if you want to go back and read that, uh, and that helps me to understand what Jude is up to here. Uh, Paul has a bunch of people write to him, and they've been influenced a little bit by this Gnosticism, and they have this idea, they're like, they hear about grace, and they're like, well, wouldn't it make sense then for me to just sin a whole bunch so that I can get more grace? Like, would that be doing God a favor? Because then God can give me more grace. God loves gracing me, so I can just go out, do whatever I want, mess up all the time, sin all the time. I can have all this good time, and then God will be so happy about that, Right? And Paul's like, uh, no, that's not, that's not really how this works. He says, you're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be dead to sin and alive to Christ, right? That you're, you could have power over sin in your life. That's what the promise is. Don't waste grace, right? So we look at what other people know, and other people know some pretty important things that help us to understand the book of Jude. And then the next question I, I ask if I'm stuck and I'm trying to understand Scripture 
and I'm in a group of people, or I'm in an awkward Bible study, or I'm reading it with a friend, is what, what do I know? Right? If I've said out loud what I don't know, if I've recruited some help and some resources to fill in some of those blanks, the next thing I might ask is just what, what do I know? What rings so good and true? What, what sounds true? What is a struggle? What's something that I know in my bones that Jude gets this about life? And there's a few things here that I just want to kind of highlight for us that I think Jude understands that we might understand if we decided to go deep and heavy and be a little bit honest today. One thing that I think Jude is speaking to is a thing that we might feel sometimes. We get a little bit Gnostic sometimes. And we say, over here is the stuff I'm going to let God touch. But over here is the other stuff that I'm not going to let God touch. Right? And some of it's because we're just Americans, and so we hear church and state, and we have our very own personal church and state division. Right? This is the church stuff, and this is the state stuff. And there's a wall between them. This is Monday through Saturday. This is Sunday morning. This is my 10 minutes of quiet time, but this is how I act in a meeting. Right? This is what I do when I'm with Christian friends, and this is what I do when I'm in traffic. And the two of them do not meet. <laughs> and we got, the, we got the flesh over here and the spirits over here, and we think they don't have anything to do with each other. And we think, well, grace is over here, and it'll save me in the end. It doesn't have anything to do with this hard stuff. It doesn't have to do with the, the things I think about the world. It's separate. It doesn't have to do with my neighbors. Here's another thing that Jude kind of lasers in on all this talk about judgment and the destruction of God. He, he's zeroing in on this thing that we all kind of understand, but we don't really love to talk about it. It's that when we remember that we are finite, when we remember that we only have so many breaths and so many heartbeats, when we remember that death is a secret we keep, when we remember that, it is immediately clarifying about what we should do with our time, right? They're treating death and grace as this thing that will matter someday. And Jude is saying right now, if you remember right now that your time is limited, it will change the way you move with your body. There's this thing when we remember we died, either we say over here, well, then nothing matters. Or we say, oh, then everything matters, right? One way that I could think about death might lead me down this track to say, well, this body's going away so I can do with it what I want. Or we say, this body's going away. I should do with it what I want. And it's a totally different understanding of grace and of what a final grace and a final judgment might mean for us. Jude is saying, when you think about the end, it should change you right now. But he gets that sometimes we don't really want to think about it till we have to. Uh, I did some... Uh, I was listening to a podcast this week from Michael Lewis. He writes all those sports stories and research and wrote The Blind Side and maybe Moneyball. I can't remember. He's written a bunch of sports stuff. Uh, and so he did this story all about the NBA Review Center that they built in Secaucus, New Jersey for NBA games. So basically, like, if there's a game being played in Los Angeles and LeBron is, like, mad about a call, then they send a signal to this place in New Jersey and they review the play. And they spent $15 million building this referee center. And they had to, like, build new technology and invent fiber optics to review these, these basketball calls. And so it's all about, like, all the resources that went into building this referee center. And they used it, like, twice a game. And do you know when they use it? The final minutes. Because when does justice matter the most? In the final minutes. 
Jude understands there's something about thinking about the end, about final judgment or final grace that is clarifying. And some of us, when we think about it, we say, well, then nothing matters. And Jude wants to say, no, everything matters. Don't waste grace. The last thing, when we come to something in Scripture that we're not sure what to do about, and when we're having fights about it, or we're in the living room and somebody sees it one way and another person sees it another way, uh, one of my favorite things I've been thinking about this year is from a woman named Anna Carter Florence. And she says that when you read the Bible, you should read it verbs first. So you ask, what are the verbs here? Because we fight a lot about nouns. And we're, we get confused by the nouns. But what Jude is inviting us to do, he finishes with just a list of verbs. He says, build something. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the spirit. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is a verb. Keep yourselves there. He says, look forward to the mercy. Be active about that. But he says, don't just look forward to it. Have mercy right now. It's just a bunch of verbs. He says, bring grace to life. Grace is not the thing that covers you in the end. It is the thing that ought to be animating you as you go through your day today. And I want us to just make sure we understand that we follow a God who is not content to just be a noun. We follow a God who became a verb, who became a walking, loving, breathing, sleeping, healing, grieving, eating, laughing, verbing word. And that the invitation for us is to move through our world the same way that Jesus did, to let the Spirit of God animate us right now, to live right now like we hope that we might live someday. And I want us today uh, to just sit with this, to practice it, to, to maybe think of something in our life that needs the grace of God to come into it right now. So we're going to practice this. We're not just going to walk out and talk about it. We're not just going to, like, listen to a song. We're going to, like, let the song be a grace to us. So John's going to come out, and he's going to do a song that's one of my favorites. It's a, it's a gift to the world from the Avett brothers, I think. And it's a deep, heavy song, uh, but I want it to be something we don't just listen to, but something that we let uh, kind of wash over us. Um, so he's going to play the song. Uh, what I'm going to like lead us in a meditation before it, and I'm going to ask you to like think of something in your life, and then let the song be God's response to you, right? Let it be clarifying for you. Um, let it become the way that God's grace might enter something that you're struggling with uh, in your life. And then I'll have a final prayer at the end of that. But for now, um, let's practice this. So if you have stuff in your hand, if you're game to do this with me, just put the stuff in your hand down. Um, if you close your eyes, you might even want to keep your eyes closed during the song. That might be a useful thing, but the words will be up there. If it's helpful for you to read through them, sometimes it helps when I'm trying to focus. It helps me to uncross my arms and legs and just kind of let, let myself be a little, a little looser. But I want you, as we start to kind of think about this song, to think of a struggle in your life. Think of something that's taking up time and space in your mind, in your heart, in your body. Is there somebody you're mad at? Is there somebody you're just frustrated with? 
And if you had a pen in your hand or a phone in your hand, you'd call them a waterless cloud. You're just over them. Is it a person you work with, you live with? Is it a person who's just an idea to you? You don't even know them. That you just, when you think about them as an idea, you get so mad. It's left lane drivers. It's the people who disagree with you. It's somebody who you just think of as your enemy. Is it you? Are you so mad at you sometimes? Do you feel like you're a stuck record? You just keep circling back to that same old struggle, that same old anxiety, that same old frustration. Is there something in your life that you just can't imagine letting God touch that thing? It's separate. It's a state issue. God can't have it. Is there something where you just need, you need wisdom? You need clarity? Is there just somewhere you're stuck? Is there something that when you think about the end, you don't want this to be a part of your story anymore? Is there something you need the grace of God to change right now? Ask God to give you a picture of that. 